Well, good morning, community of faith. How are we doing today? All right. Hey, it is, uh, it's great to see you. It is great to be back. I love any opportunity I have to get here. I'm so thankful for Mark and Laura and Wes, their friendships and just what God is doing through this church. So it's good to see you. Uh, last weekend, my 12-year-old son and I, we were in North Carolina. I was speaking at a church out there, and so I took Noah along with me, and we just we decided to just have some fun. And so we went to North Carolina's amusement park. It's called Carowinds, and Carowinds is the home of the tallest and fastest roller coaster in North Carolina. And so I looked at Noah, and I was like, we do not have to do that if you don't want to because it just straight drops you. The ride is called Fury 325 because it just drops you straight down 325 feet. And they don't put chest straps on you. It's just just around your waist. Like you just pull this thing. And I'm like, this is not like, who designed this? Can I talk to them? And how confident are they in their design? Uh, but those rides are so interesting because what you, you can learn about people very quickly is if you watch them riding these rides, you see how they handle not being in control. Like you, you can spot a control freak from a mile away, one of which is me. But it's interesting when kind of the, your train kind of pulls out of the station and begins to climb up 325 feet in the air different people have different reactions. You have some people like on the climb, they just leave and they're like, I'm not in control, so I'm gonna enjoy this. And they just put their hands up straight, they're smiling, they're into it. What I did personally is I began to think, what if this thing fails? Like this thing holding me in, what if it fails? And so I kid you not, I was trying to find some handle somewhere under my seat. Like I was, I like, gripped on. I was like, okay, if this thing fails and we're going at 95 miles an hour, dropping down 325 feet, I'll just hold myself in. You think these toothpicks are going to hold in this orange, you know, when you're dropping 325 feet? Probably not, but it's just the control freak in me. And then the beautiful thing about those rides is when you finish, you always have to walk through some gift shop and there's, they, they've captured pictures of how you look at the worst parts of the ride. You know, so you've got some people who are super excited, still hands up. This is how my son looked. He looked like this. He looked. And what his face told me is, this is not enjoyable. We're doing this to say we did it. But the, the real win is that we got off the ride. And there's something majorly flawed about that. It's like, hey, dude, we didn't die. We did it. Man, that was incredible. Aren't you glad today we didn't die? Like, that was kind of the celebration. But the reason I even share that with you is because if you think about where you're at in life, some of you, like, you're on the the roller coaster of life. And the reality is that the, the roller coaster of life has many dips and in dives and different falls where you are going to be reminded, hey, I'm not in control of this. So if you want to identify that point in your life right now, just think, what's the thing in your life right now that you can't see how it's going to turn out? Like, what is that for you? It could be something with your spouse, your marriage might feel like it's on the doorstep of divorce. Or, you know, for us, it's something going on with one of our kids where, where there's just 
some challenges that he's navigating that feel outside of the realm of our understanding when it comes to parenting. Maybe you can identify with that. And you just think about some of the challenges you're navigating with some of your kids. And you're like, yeah, I just feel like I have very little control or something that's going on at work or something that's not going on at work that you wish was going on at work. What in your life can you not see how it's going to turn out? Or what's just not going the way that you wanted it to go? See, when we find ourselves in moments where we have little to no control, I just wonder if we could kind of get a snapshot or if there was a picture that we could post of the posture of your life in the midst of not being in control, what would we see? Will we see something like this, just arms stretched out, you experiencing joy in the midst of the fall, in the midst of the the twists and turns of life as their arms stretched out because you're not in control, but you know the one who truly is, and so there's joy that comes from that? Or maybe there's just this like, you know, like you're just gripping, like you don't have control, but you're, you want control. The life is just kind of miserable and you're just trying to make it through. I don't know where you're at. But here's my hope is, is no matter where you're at in life right now, I hope that you can leave today just really echoing the words of King David in the most famous passage in the entire Bible. It's, it's Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is... Uh, a passage that even if you're new to the Bible, you're not new to Psalm 23. How, what does King David say? He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Other translations say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Can you just feel the peace in King David's voice? And the reason that that's so important, that those words, the Lord is my shepherd, the reason that's uh, that's so important that it's coming out of King David's mouth is because when we think of King David, he is most known for his sling and his rock taking down a giant named Goliath. That's one of the greatest triumphs of his life. But David's life had many twists and turns to it. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but he was told that he'd be king at the age of 15. He didn't become king even over a part of the nation of Israel till he was 30, he spent the 15 years in between on the run because the outgoing king was trying to kill him. His best friend was killed. His daughter was raped. One of his sons betrayed him and stole the throne from him. Four of his sons died prematurely. He had to lead a nation through a severe three-year famine, and he had certain enemies that just never went away. And here you have King David saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so this morning, what I want to do is I just want to unpack all that David is meaning when he says that. And my hope is that it's going to bring some peace to your life. It it might change the posture of your life. You might move from this to this. And you can leave here with just a joy and a dependence and a freedom that comes only from knowing Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. And so let's just spend our morning unpacking what David means when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The reason that we need to spend some time unpacking it is because when you hear that phrase, your tendency might be to just blow right past by it because you're not a shepherd and you haven't spent any time around sheep in your life. There's a few of you that might say, yeah, I've spent a lot of time with sheep. And if that's you, you already get it. Way to go. Proud of you. 
The majority of us, not so. But the reason that David says the Lord is my shepherd is because David was a shepherd when he was growing up and he was the son of a shepherd. But not only that, he became the king of Israel and kings in the ancient Near East were known as shepherd kings. So as the king, he would shepherd the nation. But not only that, the story that he was written into was a story where God was known as the shepherd of his people, the nation of Israel. That's why you have in the Psalms, that's why it says in Psalm 78, 52, it says this about God. It says, then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, it's like a football coach using a football analogy. It's extremely meaningful. But the reason that we should fight to understand what David is saying is, most importantly, because Jesus picks up the imagery of shepherd in John chapter 10, and listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So if you want to experience intimacy with Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, then one of the best things you can do is become acquainted with him as shepherd. What I really want you to see this morning is this. So if you're tuned out, tune in. All eyes on me. Make sure you don't miss this. His identity as shepherd, his identity, it brings peace to our reality and clarity to our activity. Do you hear what I'm saying? Understanding his identity as shepherd, it brings peace to our reality. So no matter where you're at in life, whatever the twists and turns are that you're at in life, it brings peace to our reality, but it also brings clarity to our activity. So who he is dictates what we do. And so I want to give you five things this morning of what it means when David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Number one, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's declaring, the Lord is my leader. The Lord is my leader. Listen, listen to David's wording and as he goes on in Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now watch this. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you see that? There's the leadership of the shepherd. It's what the shepherd does is the shepherd leads. The Lord is my shepherd, meaning the Lord is my leader. When we talk about God being leader, what we're really saying is that God is in charge of the path in life and the pace of life. He's in charge of the where's and the when's. Think about David's life. David was told that he'd be king at the age of 15, but what was the path? It was a path of hardship. He would live on the run as the outgoing king was trying to kill him. What was the pace? It would take 15 years for him to get to the throne. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my leader. He is responsible for the path and the pace, the where's and the when's. And the reason it's so important for us to become acquainted with God as leader is because if you were to analyze the areas of your life where there is disappointment with God, I wouldn't be surprised if there is disappointment because of the where's and the when's. But God, when are things going to turn around at work? Where are we going to get the money that we need to, to make it? When are we finally going to get pregnant? When are, am I going to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life? When are things going to just 
kind of settle down with my child or in my marriage. It's the where's and the when's. It's the path and the pace. And the reality is we want to be in charge of the path. We want to say, this is where I want to go. But we also want to be in charge of the pace. This is when I want to get there. I need things to be smooth on the path. And I need the pace to be quick. And it just shows one of the reasons that we struggle with God being leader is because if God is leader, if that's his identity, then that determines our activity. What's our response? What's our activity if he's leader? It's to follow. And so many of us are wired to lead human beings, but we are meant to follow God. Which means that We have to take a page out of David's playbook. Think about it. He was king of the most powerful nation on the planet at the time. He had tons of power, tons of fame. But even he was saying, this shepherd has a shepherd. This king is submitted to a king. But we want to be in control. We want control. And let me just say this. If you have to be in control of every area of your life, Let me tell you what it'll be like. I've used this illustration before here, but I just want to remind you. It will feel like trying to carry a big pile of laundry through life. Like, you know what I'm talking about? When you get your clothes out of the dryer, we're busy people. So we want to get all the clothes from the dryer to the couch or the bed in one trip. We don't have time for multiple trips, people. So what do we do? We scrape the inside of the dryer till we feel like we have every article of clothing in our grasp. And then we begin to make the walk to the couch or to the bed or wherever you're going with your laundry. And as we are walking, we get this deep down sense to simply look back. And when we do, what do we see? Man down. Sock down. Now, this is where we display our brilliance, people. Because instead of taking the pile of laundry, dropping it off and coming back for the sock, no. We developed this very noble and heroic mantra of no sock, no sock left behind. And so what do we do? We back up to the sock and we balance an entire pile of laundry on one hand. Clearly, we're not doing too well with two hands. And when you reach down and you pick up that sock and your life is all at peace again because everything is in your control, what do you see? Tidy whitey's down, and that's your fault for never switching to boxers. But like this, this is your life, people, when you need to be in control. Like you want everything in your grasp. And when you pick up that financial sock, that kid whitey tidies is down. And it's just this constant wrestle of wanting to be in control, but being reminded that you just can't be. And so many of us spend our time just beating our head against the wall like, I need control. I need control, so I'm just going to fight more. And that's just like me on Fury 325, gripping the seat. Like if at 95 miles an hour, if this thing fails, I can hold myself in. It's not possible. That is a mirage of life where you are in control. How do we go from this to this? It's just realizing He's in charge of the path and the pace. And if you can't see where you're headed, 
and it doesn't feel like things are moving as fast as they should be, it's not that God is sleeping on the job. It just might be that you haven't set your watch according to his watch. And if he wanted you to know something, you'd know it. But that's a part of life where it's that's it's this trust that he leads, I follows. I follow. When he moves, I move. When he doesn't, I don't. The second thing David is saying when he says the Lord is my shepherd is he's saying the Lord is my owner. Now, I understand that might be interesting terminology. But let me just tell you what I why I say that. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10 where Jesus himself picks up the shepherd imagery. He says this in verses 12 through 14. He's drawing this comparison between a hired hand and a shepherd. And watch the difference. It says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. That's where I get the wording from. Who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and watch the wording and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So Jesus himself is saying, as the shepherd, I'm the owner. And what Jesus does is he draws a correlation between ownership and care. Here's how things work in this world. If you own something, you care the most about it. That's just the way it goes. Like, I'll give you an example. A couple years ago, I had been speaking at an event in Houston closer to downtown, and I left the event, and I was driving back to College Station, and I hadn't eaten dinner yet, and so I got on Google Maps, and I looked at what time I would reach the Chick-fil-A right here in Cyprus, and the map told me that I would get there at 9.58, and Chick-fil-A closes at 10 p.m. So people, I am flying in hot to Chick-fil-A to get my 12 count with a sweet tea. So I fly into the parking lot, like round the corner. I can see the entrance to the drive-thru. And as I'm making my way to the drive-thru, out of my, out of my side vision, I see a high school kid in a red shirt sprinting across the parking lot. And so I'm trying to make sense of what is going on here. Things are moving slowly in my mind. Everything's in slow motion. As I'm driving through the drive, driving toward the drive-thru entrance, and this kid running, sprinting across the parking lot. And you know what I realized? He's racing me. He's trying to beat me to the entrance to put a cone in the drive-thru entrance because we're two minutes away from closing. So what do I do? I floor it, of course. I floor it. And I beat that kid to the entrance. And I roll down my window and I was like, were you racing me? He was like, yeah. (laughs) And just then I was reminded this kid is not an owner. Like he's a hired hand. Because I've met several Chick-fil-A operators. I've had the chance to talk to Dan Cathy, the owner, for two minutes. And any time you get around a Chick-fil-A operator, it is abundantly clear. They care deeply about their people who eat their chicken. And an owner. Owners always care the most. 
And so Jesus Christ is sitting here saying, hey, I'm the owner. I'm the shepherd. When we declare the Lord is my shepherd, we're saying the Lord is my owner. And when we really believe that, what we're saying is no one cares more about my life than Jesus Christ. Like, I just want to ask you to let that sink in. Don't let that just fly right over your head. Don't sit there and be like, yeah, I know, Jesus loves me, this I know. Like, Jesus cares, of course he does. No, what I'm telling you is no one cares more about your life than Jesus Christ, period. Jesus cares more about your life than you care about your life. No one takes more responsibility. No one feels more responsible for your life than Jesus. Some of you need to hear that just in the midst of the twists and turns of life. Hey, no one's thinking about your life more. No one cares more about your life than your shepherd, Jesus Christ. Third, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, what he's saying is the Lord is my provider. The Lord is my provider. So if you were to go and read the Old Testament, what you would see is God leads his people, the nation of Israel, out of captivity to Egypt. And then as he leads them to the promised land, They wander through the wilderness for 40 years and God establishes the way that he's going to feed his people. He tells them every morning, I'm going to provide you with something called manna. And so what God expects them to do is he expects them to trust that when they wake up, breakfast will be served. Breakfast will be ready in the form of manna that just magically appears. What does God tell them? He says, hey, no leftovers. Like, we're not pulling out the Tupperware. We're not sticking stuff in a fridge to save for another time. There are no microwaves. We're not reheating anything. Like, you eat what you need, and you let the rest go. You wait for my provision the next day. What do the people do? Wake up, eat food, take leftovers. What if God doesn't show up? What if God doesn't provide? I don't know if he can be trusted. I trust myself, I'll save some. What happens when they save it? Worms get to it, molds, because God's like, no, I told you. The way that things are going to work, you wake up, you go to sleep trusting that when you wake up, breakfast will be ready. And he didn't expect them to trust him for just a few days or a few weeks. He expected them to trust him for 40 years. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, what does he teach us to pray? Give us this day our what? Daily bread. So Jesus teaches us to pray, God, give me what I need today. That's so contrary to our nature because we like to stockpile. I mean, what happened when the pandemic first hit? What were we out of first? Toilet paper. It's like, oh no. I will not be without toilet paper. I don't care if these people are without toilet paper. They can lose a sock. In this house, no, we're going to stockpile. Okay? And that's just our tendency. Like we want to stockpile in life. Because that control, knowing that we have what we need, not just for this day, but for many days or weeks, that's what brings us comfort. And God's like, no. It's not a thing that brings you comfort. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's his presence in in your life, knowing that he has all that you need. And so some of you just need to hear with Jesus, you won't always have what you want, but you will always have what you need. Because he's provider. 
And you might hear that and be like, wrong. Because over the last year and a half, I haven't had what I need. Well, let me just say this. You might not have had what you think you need. But you've had everything that you need according to God's perfect will for your life. And the reason that I can say that with confidence, even if I don't know you, is because you're here this morning and you're still standing. You might not, you might be hanging on by a thread, but you're still standing. And for some of you, that's miraculous. And that's solely because of your shepherd who is provider. Rick Warren says, you never know God is all you need until God is all you have. So some of you just need to be acquainted with the reality of God being shepherd, God being provider. Number four, when David says the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying the Lord is my protector. The Lord is my protector. Remember, David was a shepherd. And the most famous story that we know about David is him taking down a giant named Goliath with a sling and a stone. And if you remember how the story goes, David's about 18 at the time. He's not even old enough to fight in the king's army. He's basically the refreshment cart boy. Shows up with a bunch of cheese and bread to give to his brothers who are fighting. And he hears this giant taunting God in his army. So David's like, I'll take care of this guy. The king of Israel, Saul, hears about it, calls in David. And is like, dude, you can't, you can't fight this champion Goliath because you're just, you're a little kid. And listen to what David says. The reason I read this is it just shows us what shepherds do. David said to Saul, 1 Samuel 17, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. He's saying, I was a shepherd. He's given his resume. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. What a boss thing to say. Hey, I was a shepherd. When I was dealing with lions, just grab them by the beard and take them down. Anyone here able to say that? You've been close enough to a lion to grab his beard? Probably not. An 18-year-old kid saying, this is what shepherds do. Shepherds have a care for the sheep. They know their role is to protect. And because, because the sheep are prey, there is an enemy. And David's saying, when the enemy came, I cut it by its beard and took care of it. You need to know that Jesus is the greater David. And when the enemies of Satan, Satan, sin, and death came against us, Jesus Christ caught them by their beard and took them down through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. That's what he's done. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know what God does is he comes and lives in you through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit Ephesians 1 basically says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and to me. So God protects us and he empowers us. He gives us what we need no matter what is coming against us. So I don't know where you're at right now. Some of you feel like you're just getting beaten down right now. Like you, you feel like you're under attack and you're losing. So I don't know what you feel like is coming against you. Maybe you feel like your marriage is under attack or your parenting is under attack or your, your 
ability to thrive at work is under attack, no matter what is coming against you right now, you need to know that your shepherd sees you and your shepherd goes before you and you can hide behind him. He is a protector. And if that feels too ambiguous for you, let me just give you a couple ways that God shows his protection as he gives us the local church. He gives us a safe place every single Sunday where we can come and sit with other people and sit before him and worship. But not only that, he gives us the ability to gather together and hold each other accountable. Like we can step into meaningful relationships and we can be fully known and fully loved. He's given us the people of God who go to battle for us, who who can challenge us and sharpen us and encourage us in the fight. And again, God gives us his spirit who gives us the strength we need to make it through today. So no matter what's coming against you, don't believe the lie that, that the battle has already ended in defeat because Jesus is a conquering and victorious king. And we live in the light of his victory on our behalf. The fifth thing that David is saying when he says the Lord is my shepherd is he's saying the Lord is my physician. The Lord is my physician. One shepherd wrote this. He said, sheep require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. It's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind or mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. You know what David is saying? David is saying that God is shepherd and he's well acquainted with all of the hurts and the natural unhealthy tendencies of the sheep. God knows you individually. He knows all of your your insecurities and your sinful tendencies, and he loves you enough to move and kneel near and heal that which is broken in your life. And this is good and important for us to talk about right now because over the last year and a half, two years, because of the pandemic, many of us have been moved towards isolation or moved into kind of a survival mode mentality. And when we're in survival mode, it's easy for us to just say, you know what? It's not that big of a deal because I'm just trying to make it. So maybe over the last year and a half, two years, you've become isolated and there's certain things that have surfaced in your life that just aren't healthy. So maybe you can look into your life and you can just say, you can see that there are things in your life that just shouldn't be there. Because that's what happens when when you get alone or when you get around the people who know you best or you feel the most comfortable with, it's possible for you to allow certain things to surface in your life that just aren't that healthy. Let me explain it this way. Uh, When I was in middle school, I was uh, flying from Dallas to Houston and uh, my cousin took me to the airport. He was a young single guy, fresh out of college and young single guys right out of college, the type of umbrellas that they have are umbrellas that are metal ends with no handle attached to it, just like janky, really not working umbrellas. That's what my cousin had because it was raining outside. This is a freak accident, but I was standing in the terminal, and my cousin asked me if I had something to write with. So I was bending down, looking in my backpack for something to write with, 
And at the same exact time, my cousin threw that umbrella on the ground and it popped open and that metal end shot up and hit me right in my right eye. And I went into the bathroom, pulled out my eyelid. There was this massive abrasion on my right eye. Crying like crazy. My cousin did the right thing. He put me on the plane and sent me to Austin. And uh, he left. Uh, Right thing to do. But anyway, I got to Austin and uh, went to the emergency room. And they gave me drops to put in my eye. And they gave me a, I'll never forget, they gave me an eye patch that had a picture of a Dalmatian on it. If anything said, kick me, it was that eye patch. But what developed because of that incident was I developed an eye floater in my right eye, which means that I see black dots permanently in my right eye. And for the first year of having an eye floater, I just thought that I was constantly being followed by a mosquito. So during the first year, I would literally, I kid you not, I'd be like, And I could never get it. And that mosquito got some friends who were always around. So the world that I see is a world with black dots right here, always. And as far as I know, I haven't been to the eye doctor in a while, but there's nothing I can do about it. Like, that's just who I am. Like, I'm a man with an eye floater. And the world that I know is a world with black dots. Like I just assume everyone sees those black dots because in my life, that's reality. That's fine if it's an eye floater. It's not fine when it's sin. Because our tendency is to believe the lie. Like that's just who I am. I'm a, I'm a man or a woman that, that rages. Like I'm a, I'm a person that, that is just really irritable, like I'm just a person that has one too many to drink fairly often. That's just what I do. Like I'm just a person who who spends more money than I have. Like this is just who I am. And so the world that you know is a world of brokenness. And if you're not careful, you'll believe the lie that that's just how life has to be. The only problem with that is that you have a shepherd who is a physician. He is a healer of that which is broken. Jesus Christ wants to move in and bring wholeness, if you will let him. He is physician. And so I just encourage you to think, what what has surfaced over the last year or two years? Because who you are when you're alone or who you are when you're with the people in your life that you're most comfortable with, that's who you are. But that doesn't have to, who, that has, that doesn't have to be who you continue to be because Jesus is healing. I started off today just saying that his identity as shepherd, his identity brings peace to our reality and clarity to our activity. So what does that mean? If he's leader, what does that make us? It makes us followers. Maybe your activity this week is just to say, God, I want to be in charge of the path and the pace, but I just can't be. I will follow you. Whether this week is hard or easy, I will follow you. If he's owner, what does that mean for our activity? It means that we we rest in knowing that no one cares more about us than Jesus does. So what would it look like for you to draw near to Jesus every morning, to to sit with him until you see him as your 
owner and, and for you to sense the joy of knowing that he's in control and he cares deeply about you. When we say that Jesus is our provider, it's to know that we won't always have what we want, but we will most certainly have what we need. What's our activity? It's just to open up our hands each day and say, God, give me this day my daily bread. Just give me what I need today. You might not give me what I want, but I trust you to supply me with what I need to make it through today. If he's protector, then maybe you let go of that schema that says that you are a loser and you are a failure and there is no way out and you always will lose. Maybe you just begin to believe that Jesus is your protector. He is your conquering king and with him, victory is possible. And then for Jesus to be physician, what does that make us? It makes us his patience. What is our activity? It's surrender. It's to say, Jesus, you can heal whatever area of my life you want. And the reason that I put it that way is that if he begins to heal, things might change. Your relationship with that person might need to change. You might not be able to drink what you want to drink. You might not be able to do what you want to do. You might not be able to look at things on the internet like you look at things on the internet. If he begins to change, life might become more inconvenient and at the same time, it becomes more joyful and more whole. But it's to just say, Jesus, you can do what you want in my life. I'll end just by saying this. My hope is that some of you this week as you experience the twists and turns of life, my hope is that some of you, just as you're at work or when you're at home with your spouse or with your kids, you might find yourself under your breath just saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Hey, the Lord is my shepherd. But some of you, if you are honest, you can't echo David's words yet. You can't say the Lord is my shepherd because you don't know Jesus in a personal way. Maybe you can leave here saying Jesus is a shepherd, but you don't know Jesus as your shepherd. Just Remember what Isaiah 53, 6 says. It says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Here's what that's saying. It's saying that every single one of us has lived in rebellion against God. Every single one of us has sinned. We have failed to live up to God's standard. We are all like sheep who have wandered away from the shepherd and yet God has caused all of our sin to fall on Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus Christ went to the cross bearing all of our sin and he laid his life down only to on the third day to take it up again victoriously. And when he did that, he made a way for anyone who would put their trust in him to be made right with God. Would you put your trust in him this morning? Would you know that you're a sheep that has wandered away from the shepherd? You're desperately in need of Jesus who is savior and who is king. Would you call out to him? Would you invite him into your life? Would you know him as your savior and king? And would you leave here today saying, the words of David, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. We 
acknowledge you, Lord Jesus, as the good shepherd. We thank you that you've demonstrated your goodness through your death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. Lord, I pray that every single person this week would know you as shepherd, that they would find peace on the twists and turns on the roller coaster of life, that they would find peace in knowing that you are leader or owner or provider or protector or physician, Lord. And I pray that that there would be joy in this place, that we would know the joy that comes from living life in the presence of the Good Shepherd. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.